Well, hello, King of Kings. It is so good to be back with you again. I am joined once again with uh, the good, good uh, friend and scholar, uh, Dr. Mark Brighton from Concordia University, Irvine. Uh, and he's just sharing with us deeper into Revelation. And uh, it has been just a great learning experience. If you have not listened to week one, I want to invite and encourage you, go back, listen to week one, learn about the purpose of Revelation and the connection of Revelation, uh, and then dive into week two here as well. And week two, we're going to just start to get into some of the great imagery, also some of the great uh, uh, just things of Jesus for us as the church, uh, the whole church. And so that's where we're going to begin uh, today. So once again, Dr. Brighton, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And here's my question. So in the letter to the seven churches, like, can you describe what's this all about? Seven churches, um, why seven um, what, what's, what, what's, what is the purpose of us hearing and reading about these seven churches? Okay. Uh, great question. Um, part of the answer, uh, uh, comes clearer when we realize the entire outline of the book, and I'm sure your people will have an outline in front of them. Um, the seven churches are, are letters, uh, sent to various congregations in Asia Minor. And, and it's words that Christ would bring to these churches before they are ready to see how the exalted Son of Man will bring to completion his uh, uh, work of salvation, culminating in the new creation. Uh, because um, uh, the, the visions of the end times uh, uh, and how the, the exalted Son of Man exerts his authority actually begins with chapter 6. Um, so what are the seven churches all about? Um, uh, first of all, the number seven, most scholars would say, well, we know there are more congregations in Asia Minor. For example, Colossae was there, uh, but Colossae is not addressed. Um, some of these churches we would know nothing about. Uh, most people think that the number seven, it's, it's chosen, uh, uh, as with many numbers in Revelation, the number is chosen to point beyond itself. Uh, so seven is a number that you would associate with God. And so uh, that seven churches, it's just a subtle reminder to John's uh, readers that it's God's people, God's church. You'll see that with other numbers in the book of Revelation. Uh, the number 12 is, is a number that you would associate with the people of God. This is why Jesus had 12 disciples. It's not that 13 was unmanageable. It's just that he was um, saying by choosing 12, I've come to teach all of God's people and call them into discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so that helps you unravel some of the numbers that we will see later. Um, now, why these seven? Each one begins uh, uh, to the angel of the church at Ephesus or to the angel of the church at Theatira. I think it might be better translated to the messenger. Um, for those of you who are listening, uh, 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 Pastor Greg can tell you that the word angelos can be translated as angel, but it can also be translated as messenger. Now, why would I prefer messenger? Um, 
primarily for this reason. I, I don't think that God would be writing letters to angelic beings and calling them to repentance. We just don't read that anywhere else in the Bible. Angelic beings are never called to repentance. Uh, but um, uh, human beings are. Uh, just as John the Baptist was the messenger sent by God to prepare God's people for the first coming of Christ, and he did, and this is how Jesus explained John the Baptist's ministry, now the exalted Son of Man has sent messengers among God's people to prepare them for his second coming. And that's what these letters are all about. You and I can read these letters and we can hear things that are written here which would bring us to repentance or where the exalted Son of Man would give us encouragement or hope. Now, in the church today, we don't call them messengers. Um, in the New Testament, they call them overseers. That's what Paul calls them. You and I would today call them pastors. And so uh, uh, they're messengers here, though, because they are sent to prepare all of us for Christ's second coming. And so that's what the letters are all about. And, and so if you follow the letters, it's to the messenger of the church at Ephesus, starting at chapter 2. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars. And then Christ will say things about the church. Very often he will say some things that are good. I know your endurance. I know that you expose false teachers. In essence, that's what Christ says here. But then very often the exalted son of man will say, but this is an issue that you have. And to the church at Ephesus, it's you've lost your first love. Uh, and so you need to repent or else I will take the lampstand from its place. That is, you will cease to be a congregation. So what does that mean for us? As we live in the end times from the church at Ephesus, we hear we must stand in the truth. We must always evaluate everything by the truth of God's word. But at the same time, we must also not lose the fact that we are to give our lives in love for other people. As we bring the truth, our job is not to build walls to keep everybody out. Our job is to go out into the world and extend the love of the exalted Son of Man for people. Um, the love of Christ for all the lost. And that's something that you and I too need to remember. Because sometimes the church will compromise the truth. At other times, the church might say, we're going to build a wall and the mission of the church is to go ye therefore and show everyone else how wrong they are, <laughs> which is not exactly what Jesus said. And, and, and that's just one letter. If you look at all the other letters, you see these sorts of things that are expressed. And it'd be fun to dig into all of them. We just don't have time. I do want to make one comment, however. Each letter ends with a statement like this, let him who has an ear listen to the one who conquers, and then there's some promise. To Ephesus, they won't be hurt. Uh, uh, he will eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That goes back to the Old Testament. 
but how do you conquer? To the one who conquers, you and I might think, well, we got to try harder. Let's try harder. Let's, let's do better. But you know the way you conquer in Revelation? It's expressly unpacked in Revelation chapter 12 in the middle of the book. At verse 11, we read, These have conquered him. They have overcome the adversary. And they did that not by trying harder. They did that by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their witness. For they did not love their lives even unto death. You're always victorious if you stand in the victory of Christ. You're always victorious if you stand in his forgiveness and in his love. And so that's how you win. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's a long explanation. I'm sorry. You can tell I love this book because no, I'll just keep going. That's so good. <laughs> that's so good. So helpful. Let me ask this question just from your perspective. Mm -hmm. Why do you think... I think it's easy for us to understand like why maybe each church was pointed out for some good things, but, but even there's a question that, you know, two churches were not. Mm -hmm. Why, why was there the pointing out of, but here's where you are sin or here's where you're failing. And, and again, two, two churches were not. So, so like what, what's the purpose of that? Why do you think mm -hmm. that was yeah. part of this letter? Yeah. And two others, he has nothing bad to say about. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Two nothing good, two nothing bad. Yeah, and then the rest are in the middle with some good and some bad. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I have a good answer for that because as you look at, as we look at our lives, we see our own sinful nature. We always do. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't know if there's anything necessarily better about one church that they have nothing bad said about them. Or something worse about one church may have something good said about them. Because I guess I don't necessarily think of the letters in that one, those ways. I just say, okay, in this congregation, this is good and this is bad. And how does that maybe describe God's people today? So, so I guess I don't have a good answer why some have no good and some have no bad. Except that it would be a probably a difficult thing for the Son of Man to say nothing good about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and I think this is a a reminder for me for everyone maybe listening. There are some things of great curiosity that we may have, mm -hmm. but if it's in the minors, we we don't need to spend time majoring in what are the minors. Yeah, yeah. We can major yeah. in the major. If there's question about this congregation, there's something I know about this congregation which means there's nothing good or bad about them. I can't answer that. Yeah. Yeah. There are no details right. from what we know about Theatira or Sardis or Pergamum or anything like that. Yeah. When, when you read through kind of this early section of Revelation, chapters two, three, maybe even four, what, what are some key takeaways that you see that bring comfort and hope uh, on uh, throughout these spots? Like what's one thing that you go, here, hold on to this. These are the handles I would grab onto in these chapters. Uh, Jesus loves us enough to address us personally. Uh, Jesus loves us enough to send messengers to prepare us for his coming. Uh, we all know he's coming. And Jesus wants us to stand ready, always in grace. Uh, Jesus wants us to share his victory. 
each one of these things ends with a promise. If you have an ear, just listen. And to the one who comes, you won't be hurt by the second death. You will eat of the tree of life. Um, uh, you will have some of the hidden manna. All these promises. Um, you don't get a grim, cynical view from any of these letters. They are all addressed to God's people, his children. And, and he knows us intimately. I know. Each one begins. I know. I know where you dwell. I know your works. I know who you are. And so Jesus knows me better than I know myself. And so it's good for me to sit at the knees or before the one who gave his life for me when he says, I know about you. Because the one who gave his life for me is going to always have my salvation in mind. So those are some of the things I think about. Hmm. That's good. And then last thing, last question. You, We didn't talk about this last week, and I think it's important. I might have missed that last week. You, you mentioned here the end times. Um, would you say we are in the end times yeah. now, or is that to come? Yeah. Pastor Greg, those who are listening, has a document uh, where uh, the biblical view of the end times. According to the apostles, the end times began on the day of Pentecost. Mm. Now, that might seem bizarre to you and for me. Because that means we've been in the end times for over two millennia. And so how close to the end can we be when it's been going on two millennia? But you see, they weren't thinking about the end times chronologically. They were thinking of the end times as the outworking of Christ's victory. Because with Christ's death and resurrection, game over. He's won. The victory has been won. Now, what is left is the proclamation of the victory. It's all over but the shouting. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we are in the end game. That's what they meant by the end times. And we've been in this end game for two millennia, where the victory of Christ is being proclaimed. How long will these end times go? Uh, the favorite passages I like to point to is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where Jesus, in the only place in the Bible where we learn when the end will come, Jesus says, the gospel will be proclaimed everywhere, and then the end will come. Jesus did not say it will come on June 31st, 2045. He did not pin it to a calendar day, because that's not the point. He pinned it to the completion of God's gospel work. So uh, you could put it this way. As long as people are coming to faith, the end won't come. But as soon as the banqueting table is full, as soon as God knows that no one else are going to come into the family, Jesus says, then the end will come. So instead of looking around and thinking how bad things are, gosh, we have to be in the end times. Well, yeah, we are in the end times. Jesus described all that. Let's look at how many people are being saved. There's lots of work to be done yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was just studying First uh, Thessalonians 5, and I was struck uh, by... Uh, the description of Christ returning, the day of the Lord coming, um, 
you know, as a thief by the night. And I, I, I just had this thought of saying, you know, I think we, we so often look and think the world's so bad, Christ has to come. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I wonder in the first Thessalonians five and, and just the thought of that is will Christ come when it almost feels like the words world's at perfect peace. Mm. And there's no need for the Savior to enter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, Jesus yeah. does speak on those terms, right? When they say peace, yeah. peace. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's it, so when we look around us and we see how bad things are, it's not a bad thing for us to think, gee, it can't go on. <laughs> Something's right. going to blow somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, um, mm-hmm. But instead of wondering how long it could go on, uh, maybe we should say time, we should be really urgent to try to tell others the end of the story doesn't have to be the blow up. Mm. Christ mm-hmm. can write the end of your story. He's got yeah. the victory. And so trust in that. You can have a different end of the story. <laughs> Look at the world around you. Yeah, it's going to blow up sooner or later, but that doesn't have to be the end of your story. Mm, that's the proclamation of the victory. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. Well, this was rich. I, we could go on and on and on, but the good news is we're going to get to go on Okay. Uh, next week. Join us again. We're going to come back and we're going to look at some of the visions and we're going to look at, at the visions and some of the, the, just the imagery we see. But again, like we talked about in week one, which Please listen to week one if you have not yet done that. This book, Revelation, is so deeply connected to the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Um, These visions are not new. Uh, They are not anything that would have shocked the reader that uh, John would have been writing towards and to in that time um, because they would have said, we've heard these things. And so we're going to dive even deeper into that. And in dive two, John writes a personal invitation uh, or John has a personal invitation to come up. And what does that mean? So mm. next week, it's going to be going to be really great. You're going to want to uh, uh, make sure you hear session three. And I would invite you to like, share, and send this to someone else uh, as well. So Dr. Brighton, thanks again for Thank this you. week. And Thank we're you. going to talk next week. Yes. Yeah.